Recording in progress. Cool. I heard that. I heard it. <laughs> I wish that was the beginning of every show. That was like... These guys are cool. They've hired a robot. You have to verbally consent. That's right. The robot. What is the robot's recording in progress? Golfed nerds unite. Can I, can I bring you a coffee? Mr. O'Connor. Mr. Glassman. All right, nerds. Welcome to Swing Thoughts. I'm Howard. He's Tim. Charles Fitzsimmons, our guest here in a second. You can see him on, uh, if you're watching this on uh, the YouTubes. It's Swing Thoughts. And uh, wow, uh, what happened, full disclosure, what happened, Tim and I got together about 20 minutes ago and we realized we were both wearing the same jacket. <laughs> and I said, you know what, man, I like you, but I just don't think I can do the twins thing on our broadcast today. So uh, we're uh, well festooned, aren't we, from JWApparelInc.com. Tim, why don't you tell the folks at home what you're wearing? Oh, I'm wearing a, a zero restriction. Uh, it's it's kind of like a vest, but it has um, <laughs> sleeves made of cloth. Yes. <laughs> yes I was that's really right. prepared. I can tell you, it, it is a certain microfiber. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm trying to erase this thing from the ashes. It, it, no, wearing, it's fine. It was a beauty. You know why they call it zero restriction, though? Because there's very little restriction. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I finally got that sorted out. Thank you, uh, Golf Spiritual Leader. Jonathan and Wong Apparel. Fairway and Green uh, shirt. And you look really good in it, too. Jonathan Wong Apparel, Inc. Offers golfers of all ages quality apparel from head to toe. Each brand delivers great quality and styling for all weather conditions. And that's what we're all about. Uh, as we record today, uh, we got about, I don't know, six degrees and it's raining sideways. Uh, JW also offers a great accessory line that can be totally customized for your club. And one that you will be proud to sell. Uh, Beedratty, E-P-N-Y, Garb, that's for the kids. Royal Albatross, PRG Golf, zero restriction, as Tim said. Fairway and Green, have you put your uh, SIM 2, do you have the SIM 2 driver yet, Timothy? Yes, and I am loving it. Oh my gosh, yes. You know those... I played Saturday, played Sunday, Monday... Wednesday, I'm making up for lost time. Loving this driver, man. Experience the driver every golfer wants to hit. You know, their their thing is uh, every golfer wants to hit and no golfer wants to follow the all-new Sim 2 driver only from TaylorMade. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn more. It really is. I know we say this every year with TaylorMade product, but, you know, that's what they're, they're really in the innovation business. <laughs> that's what they do. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be able to get through that without laughing at my own stupid self. <clears throat> they are, though. Every year, well, yeah. the driver gets better. And uh, I've been uh, I've been out a few times myself, and I hit that driver for the first time in, uh, in play on uh, Tuesday. And uh, a couple times I hit it so far, I scared myself. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't risk an injury? I thought, wait a second, I'm 61. It's not supposed to be that far. Uh, anyway, uh, I just heard from my older brother, who's a big fan of the show. He's been on the show. He's a psychologist, much like my younger brother here, Charles. And my buddy, my brother David, sent me a note saying he's all set up for a tailor-made fitting out there in Calgary, Alberta. Wonderful. 
Like Wonderful. a lot of listeners of this show, they're availing and my themselves. My son Sean set up, but his uh, his fitting was uh, during the lockdown, so yeah, yeah. it's being rescheduled. Uh, the point being, a lot of listeners to this program are availing themselves of the fine technology, tailormadegolf.ca. When we first met this uh, young man, he was uh, but an acorn with a big brain, a budding uh, scientist, a man of, uh, of science and of, uh, of philosophy. He also happens to be one of this country's finest uh, golf uh, players. He has a lot of game, and yet he continues to come on this program. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm a glutton for punishment, Howard. Uh, For many years, he has uh, helped me qualify for the Ontario Better Ball. Uh, Every once in a while, we'll use one of Charles' shots. And uh, the rest of the time, you know, I... uh, I really should start telling people, oh, I'm so tired of carrying Chuck Fitzsimmons around. But uh, I don't. I, I don't tell them what really goes on in those rounds, Charles, because I don't want to embarrass you. Well, I appreciate that, Howard. It's very, uh, very kind and gentlemanly of you. This is the kind of guy he is. We all know that. Yeah. <laughs> Big hearted Howard. I, I like to think so. I don't know. You guys mock away, but I like to think I am generous. I'm generous of spirit. Um, where do we start? I can't remember the last time we had Charles on. I'm pretty sure since you became Dr. Fitzsimmons. Yes, we have. Yep. How does that? And I'll, I'll be serious for a second. I don't think I've asked you this. Do two questions. Do people call you that now? And when they do, does it? How does it feel? Um, one, they do occasionally call me that, or a lot of people have taken to call me Dr. Charles. Um, both work, neither work. I'm fine with whatever. And of course it, uh, feels like a wonderful accomplishment that I worked crazy hard over many years to, uh, to make happen. So it's certainly, uh, not something I'm, I'm unhappy about, you know, you get the odd email saying, hello, Dr. Fitzsimmons. Yeah, that must look great. Ah, yes. <laughs> That feels right. Is that is that from the the email from the Nigerian prince? Yes, it is. Actually, <laughs> That's <there>. right. <laughs> dear Doctor, dear Doctor Fitzsimmons, we are having great trouble getting my thirty eight million out of this country that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. remember the, those are the early days of the internet. And I'd be like, this Nigerian prince is going to give me thirty eight million. <laughs> Do um. <laughs> I, I mean, I know with with MDs, it, it becomes part of the moniker, your the your signature. Is that part of yours? You sign things now, Doctor Charles Aloysius no. Fitzsimmons. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my signature is the same as it always has been, which is uh, Ill- illegible and uh, just really, really kind of chicken scratch. Yeah, me too. And it looks like. Yeah. And uh, yeah, kind of good stuff that way. Now, Tim and I, being 125 years old, we grew up in a time when um, the I, the what did they call that, Timmy? Uh, it was cursive it, writing yes, nicely cursive. in cursive was a thing that you were supposed to be good at. I was always horrible at it, but I'm guessing, Timmy, you probably had nice handwriting. Uh, no, absolutely not. Really? Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I think people in my family think that I was somehow injured at a Catholic school by a nun <laughs> with a very, sh- very, you know, harsh steel ruler over the knuckles. Bad, Tim. Because yeah. yeah, my cursive is horrible. I like to do it, but I also know that if I only have one coffee, it's better than when I have three. <laughs> yes. Um, I'd like to start with that. Maybe using this as a segue. You know, I, I re- I'm, I'm, you guys have both heard this uh, expression I'm about to give you, but I, and I hadn't 
I hadn't thought about it for a while. The expression is how you do something is how you do everything. Interesting that we're talking about how we all sign our names very quickly or scratch it out. You can barely read it. But in the world of golf and, and golf development and psychology, when you talk to a potential client or when you're talking to a player, how do you what are some of the things you suss out how they do some things is impacting how they do a lot of things? Yeah, in- interesting question, actually. I um, thought so. I thought it was really like a nice way to open things. <laughs> of course. You know. Charles, he's a, co- he's a professional question asker. Yes, and, and humble as ever. Oh, shut uh, up. Listen, but, 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 but I am serious that, no, no, that I, I, think it's, I think there's a lot of that in golf, the way you see somebody carry themselves or how they do some things is what impacts a lot of the other things that go you know, good and bad in their games. And I have the perfect example that comes up all the time. And uh, it's usually with my younger athletes, but it tends, it can happen with some of the older ones too. And it's around perfectionism. And it's basically perfectionism in a bunch of different areas in their life. And so I see this a lot in, in, in students, right? Where they are really struggling with perfectionism and either in terms of getting things in or, you know, just having to really work really hard on things and, you know, that's a, always a great starting question when people come to me and they're struggling with certain kind of challenges on their golf courses. You know, do you struggle with these kinds of ideas in other parts in life? You know, usually being too hard on themselves, usually kind of overly punishing mistakes and, and feeling like they kind of need to do things just in this specific, perfect way to kind of succeed. And it 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 translates so well from all these different areas. So it's certainly a, a big theme that has come up a lot in my work with, with athletes uh, in, in a range of sports. Obviously, golf is kind of particularly uh, challenging that way, but uh, it, it happens in, in all sports, too. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, I have the same experience, particularly with juniors. Um, most, and so as a coach of the University Guelph golf team, I get these emails from these kids and they always have these high GPAs or averages and, and they do community work and, you know, I don't, and they also play golf five days a week. I don't know when they sleep, but the point is, is they, they do everything at this high level and they're always pushing. And, and to me, so there, I often talk about, so the payoff. So if you, so a lot of great golfers have perfectionist tendencies, they'll put in the work you know, there's no sloughing off, whatever the cost is, that their identity ebbs and flows with how they do. Are they putting the right effort? They're always this constant thinking, judging, comparing, oh, am I am I pushing myself? Am I working as hard as Jordan Spieth or whatever? And the cost is, is that that's when they tend to really underperform because they put themselves under so much pressure, it becomes actually kind of stifling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially in competition, right? You know, to me, I look at kind of perfectionism on a, on a continuum, kind of between perfectionism and, and acceptance. And, you know, certainly there's theoretical benefits from being a little more detail oriented in practice and really kind of trying to bring that that focus. But, you know, as we get into competition, getting athletes to be more on that acceptance side and, and kind of just rolling with the punches can can be really, really valuable. And when they stick too hard on that perfectionism piece, 
they really struggle to deal with mistakes. And, and as we all know, mistakes are part of the game in, in, in tournaments, especially, and, and being able to roll with them is so critical. And both of you talked about working with younger players and the challenges of maybe they being overly, you know, perfection and driven and, and various, Tim said, you know, they, they're very driven in all aspects of their lives. But I would wonder too, it, with, with on the on the other side, older golfers who are set in their ways who might want to come to you and say, "Hey, listen, I'm trying to get better, uh, work on my mental game," but but they're not willing to do Tim. They're not willing to do any work, or they don't want to put the work in, Charles, that they need. Because one thing about golf is it's such a delayed gratification. You don't always find, and and so the seeds are not always sprouting up because you practiced your chipping once. You expect to be, you know, great. It, there, there's an evolution of your game, and I would think that, again, speaking for being an older tournament player, it can be frustrating knowing the kind of work it takes to get a little bit better in each little area. Yeah, I, I, I guess from my perspective as a coach, that's all about expectation management. Right. And and it's something I work really, really hard on with athletes to help them understand what that looks like and, and what the work's going to be required, right? Even if you just use the kind of old, simple analogy that takes a minimum of three weeks of kind of semi-daily work to form a habit, even if you just kind of start at that as a simple introductory baseline yeah, and say- like 21 hey, days, on, yeah. Yeah, you want to work on one skill. If you work on that skill daily- it's still going to take you kind of three to four weeks to, to start to make a real significant impact on that. And then let's talk about multiple skills and let's talk about then taking them and kind of mastering them into tournaments. And you can see the timeline starts to expand out. The challenge is, is then people can become deterred, right? Mm-hmm. They, as you say, they don't want to put that work in. So helping them to find little ways to kind of celebrate the wins along the way and, and to enjoy that journey is so, so critical because otherwise they're, they're, they're kind of kind of struggle to, to go through it unless they're really, really um, intrinsically motivated. Yeah, well, most of the people who come to people like you and I, uh, they're emotionally invested. I mean, they're golf nerds. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't come to people like you or I unless they were like living and dying with a golf game. And that's part of the struggle that they have is that when they when they don't succeed you know when they think okay this is the piece i don't know how many times i've do webinars and things and you just you just know from the questions that you get that okay this this is where nirvana the keys are going to drop <laughs> into my lap and and i will become enlightened sorry it just doesn't work like that it's like as you said it's it's by increments so a lot of times people you have to have to talk to people say okay you want to work on a part of your game whatever i remember a, a fellow who Howard knows, struggle with his chipping. And this guy was close to like, you know, giving up the game. And unfortunately, he could not get it. He he just could not sit with the idea that he was going to have a lot of failure until he finally got better. And he, and, and, and he, he didn't continue. And, um, it's not unusual in all parts of life. People think they could buy, you know, the, the, uh, the self-help book, get that on Friday at noon, finish it by Sunday night, and I'm cured of overeating or whatever. Wow. It's just life is hard, as the golf spiritual leader will tell us. <laughs> well, and, and one of the things Charles said, and I totally agree with you, Timothy, that there there's a there's part of the culture that we live in, and it's 
Not much different than it was when we were younger, but, you know, the idea that people want things instantly isn't a new concept. The problem, Charles, is you were saying that it's one thing to start to acquire a bit of a nuance to a part of your game and then to take it to the golf course and then to take it to the Saturday morning game and uh, so on and so on until you find yourself in an actual tournament and and ho- hopefully that skills there. But one of the things we've talked a lot about recently, Charles, and I, I haven't really shared this with you on our private calls, but we've talked a lot about expectations. And one of the things that's really, and it's been a nice theme for our show this year about if you understand what good is, then, you know, then then you'll maybe not be so hard on yourself. One, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with the decade guys about what the average PGA Tour uh, uh, professional hits it from 125. They don't hit it to five feet all the time. We only see that on Sundays when the best player on the planet's having a great day. You know this. But if you're an amateur golfer and you know that at 125 yards, the PGA Tour averages about 35 feet and you hit it to 50 feet, good job, buddy. The problem is most golfers don't know what to expect. And as you said, I'm going to throw it to you now, Charles. If you're expecting perfection, you're constantly going to be disappointed. And your your confidence is going to be crushed, right? And yes. so being able to understand and identify for you what a great shot is. Yes. And realizing that, you know, based on rough statistics, it's going to happen 15 to per 12. 15 to 20% of your shots in, in a kind of an average round would fit into that great category, you know, based on, on certain statistic kind of measures. Um, you can go out there and really enjoy things if you actually go out and identify those, right? Yeah. And, and also knowing that simultaneously there's going to be 15 or 20% of kind of bad shots, right? And, and so being able to manage and not blow your lid when you hit those bad shots that listen are part of the game no matter how good you get yes Yes. it's relative to your performance so a pga tour's bad shot versus you know a a 10 handicaps bad shot are obviously different the same way their great shots are different but helping people to identify and have those realistic expectations does amazing amazing things for their fulfillment and their satisfaction and obviously for their confidence as well if i may just continue with this a little bit timmy because i can tell you and and both of you know me you know i have had my evolution of how i you know used to slam my putter into my shins quite often uh and and you know the the acts of childish behavior on this program that i've revealed are legendary but i can tell the scars are ridiculous but i can tell you i've now played uh before the lockdown and after the lockdown i think i've had like we'll call it 15 rounds of golf. And as I always joke with Rachel, I haven't had one round of golf this year where I've left the golf course wanting to punch myself in the face. And that's a win. <laughs> and that's a win for me. And I can tell you it's purely because I've started to gain some control over the expectations that even a good player like myself can have. That at 200 yards, I'm not good en- they're not good enough to hit it close. At 200 yards at my level, I'm just hoping to get it somewhere near the green, and that's a good shot. Yeah, I'm having the same the same experience. Um, What's that? Our decade, our, since our decade. Oh, I'll tell you that. Yes, please. <laughs> what are you having the same experience as me? It's similar. Um, yes. Let, let me go on and tell you this. Please explain this how your similar experience tale. is the same as mine. I'm interested. Okay. Um, <laughs> It's really been interesting uh, since I've been getting this new uh, insight 
uh, through the enlightened one, Howard, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> around decade. Because he's actually doing a post-grad, I think, in decade now. Yeah, uh, you have no idea. You know, I have no idea yeah. the level of nerddom I've uh, stooped to. <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the show, he's going to tell us, tell us about his thesis that he's working on. And he's going to Nigeria to work on it. But no. Um, so in playing, just I've hit some shots and go like, okay, that's pretty good. Like, you know, a wedge from 25 feet. Great. Fine. You know? And But I also hit a shot this week where I hit a, I think it was like an eight iron from the rough. And the rough these days is brutal, no, yeah, right? crazy. Bluegrass, the bluegrass rough is just really going like crazy. I hit it to like 10 feet and I was like, Yes. So it's interesting to see how it kind of works. But the whole thing around expectations is really crucial because, as you said, Charles, if you hold yourself to this very exacting standard, I'm supposed to do this, and you don't, well, yes, your confidence gets crushed. And as we you know, we quote Carl Morris on this show quite often around where does confidence come, comes from? comes from evidence. But you have to kind of also understand the evidence, and that's mm-hmm. why we need learned people like you and the. No, that's a really Howard. good point. It comes from evidence that you already have in your. That's a really good point. I think that if you have some evidence around good and bad, and, and and Charles told me this years ago, we had this discussion about three shots on every side of your average score is just variance. And and that's what the decade is really good is giving you the evidence, Tim, about what variance is around every aspect of the game. And I can right, tell you. Listen, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, listen to the difference, though. So a variance of three shots either side of, say, your, your handicap, your average score. But think of how much people are invested in the difference between 79 <laughs> that's and 80. Right. <laughs> Or, or you know, eighty nine and ninety. It's like a world of. I know, but that's actually difference. Charles. That's how that we had that discussion a couple of years ago. That's what you were telling me. That buddy, you know, if you shoot seventy five, it could have been seventy two, but could have also been seventy eight. But for a bounce here or there. Yeah, human beings have this wonderful uh, challenge that we face called anchoring, where we tend to arbitrarily pick a number or a, a piece of data and say, this is the be-all, end-all, and this is the most important thing. And in golf, it tends to shape around those kind of round numbers. It happens a lot in the stock market, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but in golf, we do it around, oh, you know, breaking 80, you know, breaking 90, all those kinds of things. And, and yes, they're, they're nice kind of round numbers to look at. But the truth is, statistically, shooting 79, 80, or 81 are the exact same. And you have almost zero control over what's going to happen between shooting those three scores. And and so it's about understanding how to continue to progress and move the kind of whole curve, the whole distribution of your scores lower over time. And honestly, part of it, it can be as simple as just recognizing those good shots and building that confidence. You know, I always say that confidence is basically a scale of good and bad memories, but we know that the scale is tilted against you we remember bad stuff more easily than good stuff so we really have to spend a lot of time celebrating and enjoying those good things and and really building up that confidence because that confidence is going to help us to hit more good shots and move that whole kind of distribution of scores and shots where we want it to be exactly but that's the challenge of golf is that like many things in our lives we want to control everything because we don't want pain Mm -hmm. whatever it is we don't want the pain of missing a three-footer for 80 we don't want the pain of you know not getting the job we want. So we want to control 
things. And but it's it's so hard to learn that. Believe me, you know, at age sixty four, I'm still struggling with this stuff. This idea that you know, when I don't try to control things and fix and solve them, often they just kind of fix themselves. As opposed to me, I'll, I'll be as brief as I can here. I recorded a, a Zoom session that I did. It was 90 minutes. I went, okay, this is too big to share. Someone said, get this thing called Handbrake, this software. Run it through there. Couldn't find the file. Second time, couldn't find the file. <laughs> Third time, I thought, search my desk, can't find it. Damn it. What the? F-? I, I was like apoplectic. Wow. Because I could not figure out this freaking <laughs> app. And it, I had to go for a walk. And then I went, I saw on my walk. And I went, oh, just put it in fucking Google Drive, you idiot. Oh, you always okay. do that. And now you can if share it. If, if you'd have called me and I was saying, just go get some weed, Tim. Just relax. <laughs> just <laughs> no, but so anyway, just down, to bring Matt. it back. So, the, so it's the same <laughs> thing as when, when you know. Let's say miss a few putts, yeah. start to th- so start to think. Oh, what am I doing with my stroke? Am I d- doing this? Doing that? so I'm trying to control the situation, and it just doesn't work. It's like when I just can let go of it, let go of the expectation, and and it, things come easier than when I try to, yeah, be perfect and control everything that happens to me. So Charlie oh, Fitz, oh, go ahead. I was going to ask you a question about that, but go ahead and comment. Let me just say one quick point. Yeah, no, no, take is, your time, man. Take your it, time. It, it speaks to, you know, this great idea that the coach from Team Ontario always kind of reminds us of this quote is kind of do one thing a million times rather than doing a million things one time, right? And, and the challenge is human beings, again, have these fundamental biases, one of them being what's called an action bias, which means we tend to want to kind of fix things right away, right? Right. And in a sport like golf, where so much is out of our control, it's hard to know when it's kind of our fault and when it's just the game. And people's natural response is to immediately want to start fixing things and, and, twi- and, and tinkering and changing. And the reality is, is we should be waiting a lot longer before we start doing that. And even when we start doing that, we need to look beyond just the technical parts of the game and think about the physical and think about the mental and even think about the tactical in terms of some of the decade stuff. So it's so much more complex than that. And we really need to give ourselves more leeway before we begin down that kind of cycle of doubt of what am I doing wrong? And and really just kind of give ourselves that that flexibility to say, hey, it's okay to hit some of those bad shots. It doesn't mean I need to change anything, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that I'm bad at golf. It's just part of the game. And that just gives so much more kind of leeway in dealing with some of these challenges. But that's so against the way I would we say are. the majority of people I play golf with. Well, it's, it's against the way m- the majority of people I interact with in a day. It's against mm-hmm. the way that they they think. You know, one of the – I sent Timmy this thing uh, – uh, Scott Fawcett was uh, referencing a Sam Harris uh, story slash meditation, and it was basically, and I sent it to Tim, I, I, I cut it up, I edited it, and I sent it to my daughters, I sent it to a bunch of people that I love, and I said, just listen, forget the golf part. I said, there's about a six-minute piece here about what causes stress, and the the, sh- the short of it is, is every day human beings wake up hoping this will be the day that nothing goes wrong. I mean, I've said this about golf, <laughs> but and I've said this about golf on this show that everyone has this fantasy on the first tee. The, the reason the vibe on the first tee is so unique 
it's got a it's and we've described it there's a, a sense of hope and there's a sense of anticipation and and you're not over par you're not under par you're just about to play this game you love and everything is great until you hit it in that fucking pot bunker on one and now the game is on and, uh, and you know, I've told the story a million times about one of the guys I play with. He's par, 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 double bogey. And he always says, well, there goes the day. <laughs> you know, like that's a lot of people. That's how we think. And so okay. golf exacerbates that for all the reasons you two know and study. And what I was going to ask you, Charles. So having said what Tim says, and I agree with it about you know, we, we're we're wired almost for frustration and lack of, you know, waiting for the gratification. What are some of the tools that you use or, or recommend to some of your players to mitigate some of the madness that is inevitable in every round? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, the biggest one is is around, I call it the 20-60-20 rule, just to kind of help make it easy to remember, which is, you know, 20% of your shots are going to be kind of great. 60% are going to be kind of average and 20% are going to be not so great. Right. And, you know, in that way, people have this ability to understand that they can kind of just check off those bad shots and they can check off those bad holes. You know, it's said that Matt Kuchar expects kind of 10, you know, or so bad shots around. And so when he hits one or has a bad hole, because the, the same percentages kind of apply, they can kind of just check it off and just say, yep, that's part of it. And, and helping them to realize, again, that they have this action bias where when they have these bad holes, their brain is going to want every part of their being is going to try and start analyzing it and breaking everything down and asking all these questions. And all that's going to do is distract them and ruin their confidence. Mm -hmm. So just giving them that awareness and then helping them to say, listen, you've put in the training, you've put in the hard work to know that this is what you do to hit great golf shots. That's always my fundamental piece. And just saying, even though you've had a bad hole, that doesn't change that. Right. And even though you've had a bad shot, that doesn't change that. So continuing to come back to that simple focus mm-hmm. is always what gives them the best chance. And all it takes is that one good shot after that double bogey or after that bad shot. And all of a sudden the day is back on. Right. Oh, OK. Things can happen well again. So certainly it's about helping them to understand, you know, the challenges that are part of the sport, the challenges that are part of our kind of human existence and our human nature and how they fit together, and then what we can really do to refocus. And whether you talk about secondary skills of mindfulness and being present and and all those kinds of things, it all still comes back to hitting a golf shot. So really understanding what the individual needs to focus on for them to hit that golf shot as well as they can is kind of the, the simplest and most effective skill. Before you say your point, Howard, was the point from Sam Harris about his waking up app? Uh, no, it was a story from waking. It was a story from the app, but it was a, yeah, yeah. it was it was a great story just about you know how he was sharing how frustrated he was with a friend, and the friend said, "Well, that's a you, that's a solvable problem." But what about where are you right now? And yep. and the thing is, most people get upset. I've got a buddy of mine right now. I could read you his text. He's so pissed off at the government that he can't find his second vaccine, and he's sending me emojis of coming out of his nose and I'm like dude how much time in the day do you have to invest this negative energy that's really the problem it's not that you hit a bad shot it's that it's your reaction to the shot that is the problem and I can tell you from being a serial you know shithead that the the (laughs) 
There, like the day I made nine and then followed it with a two. And the reason I followed it with a two is because I tried really hard to sink the putt for eight. That's the lesson. Because there are bad double bogeys and there are good double bogeys. If you made double bogey because you got some bad luck and as you were trying to chip out, it just caught a branch and you didn't quite get it back to the fairway, but your intentions were good versus, you know, we've all been frustrated and thrown shots away. That double bogey doesn't take anything away from you because you know you did what you could, variance kind of reared its ugly head. Once in a while, you're going to clip a branch and you didn't quite get it there. You tried on every shot. The next hole, that didn't take anything away from you. As you both know, and I know from real experience, when you make a triple bogey and you know that you, you know, were being a baby about it, it's hard. That's why you don't, most people go triple bogey, double bogey, bogey, and they finally calm down. I don't know. There's nothing in there other than just, uh, you know, I think that's part of the problem is that there are ways to continue after a bad hole depending on how you, how, how, whatever you perceive as a bad hole. Do you know what I'm saying, Timmy? Yeah, well, I think part of what happens when you have the disaster hole, if you will, people get thrown off. It's like they're derailed. And the things that they were doing earlier in the round, they're no longer doing. Yes. They're, not, they're not as focused. Uh, it just, you know, the cortisol thing, their, their body's like got electric. And so it's a combination of a bunch of things of which you both have, touched on as charles was saying awareness awareness that this is happening to me mm-hmm. oh you know i just i'm about i could make a nine here so what do i need to do do like the million things the one time and what could that be it could be just process what's my what's my process that i go through oh breathe okay oh okay let go of that shit let go of that shit and then it's like okay how do we come present to this shot this situation what's happening here so i can be fully present to this shot so i can adapt to that rather than you know rifling one into the trees stomping down to the fairway <laughs> that's right going you idiot you're you still suck you suck that. i hate this game you suck you suck yeah, I exactly this game. And, i hate this game then, you suck <laughs> exactly and then going through the rolodex of swing thoughts back yeah. to like Remember in 1996, you left, you hit him out to the right, and you did. This. No, but but Timmy, what, what, what I think you're saying, and I like it, is that there are rings of awareness, like from of the awareness of bad holes happen to the awareness of when they happen. You know, how do I feel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but Charles, just before we let you go, so is there? A, do you have a way that your players quantify um, progress? Progress or great shots? Well, or, no, just like what, yeah, or what not quantify. Do you have your players keep track of? Is there a system you ask them to say, okay, grade yourself on this? Yeah, so certainly, you know, there's a fine balance in reflection within round because, you know, the simple point is when players are in the zone or trying to get in the zone, any kind of self-reflection is actually going to kick you out of the zone. And so there's this very weird and delicate balance that is kind of counterintuitive that you have to kind of create inertia or momentum to get into the zone. And then once you're there, you have to kind of just play and, and kind of actually do none of that self-reflection. So it's not about creating a, a consistent kind of self-reflection. It's more about understanding where it is in, in critical moments. So, um, you know, I, I have them kind of reflect on key goals at different points throughout the round, usually, especially after a bad hole. 
Um, but kind of when things are going well, just kind of let them run with it. But certainly one of my favorite things, especially lately, is really just getting players to track their great shots and put a little check mark on the hole. Or I even go further and put a, a D for a drive, an A for an approach, a C for a chip and a P for a putt. And just literally track those great shots so that not only are they kind of watching for them and waiting for them, which creates this kind of fun sense of anticipation, but also they're taking a moment to acknowledge and and really celebrate them afterwards, which again goes back to just helping them say, hmm, that's kind of fun. And, you know, what will happen is, is people might be playing and and this happened to me the other day where I kind of had one of those front nines that just wasn't great. And I kind of looked through my, my tracking of great shots and realized my percentage was pretty low. And so it's either, I wasn't giving myself enough credit or you know what, probably the back nine is going to be a whole lot better. And, and, and it inspired this kind of natural optimism from kind of statistical reversion to the mean. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. and basically just saying, hey, you know, if I only hit 10% of kind of great shots on the front nine, on the back nine, it's probably going to be a lot higher. And, you know, sure enough, I went out and shot four under on the back nine and all of a sudden all was right in the world. And it yeah. was just because I was open to that possibility that, you know what, things are going to kind of have that balance at some point in the long run. And I know those great shots are going to come if I kind of just keep doing what I'm doing rather than kind of blowing it up and starting from scratch. Yeah, exactly. A great tool is after a round to go through and just to think of the three best shots you hit that day or the three favorite shots, if you will, and to really think about what was I feeling and what was going on and right from from everything. It doesn't necessarily have to be that it, it was a great result, was, you know, a birdie or, or whatever. It's just that this whole thing just felt really good. And I think the key piece here I'm getting to is the feeling part of it. Is, is it rather than trying to put some uh, some thinking to it, I did this, is more of like a feeling. And you can take that feeling and anchor it in your body. You can really, you can even give it a, a place in your body, a, a color, a shape, and you'll remember that thing. And the, because the piece that, that I think that put, derails people is like, just like you mentioned, you know, if you're in the zone, you start reflecting, you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And thinking, back to that Sam Harris piece, People have problems. What happens? They think about them. Ugh, thinking just makes everything worse, for gosh sakes. Mm-hmm. It's more about just that feel what's going on and save the thinking for for later. And so one of those things is to, you know, what on those three shots, what did you do well? Last night I was talking to my youngest who is, uh, you know, just finished school for film. And she's got a short film that's making the rounds in these little film festivals. And she was talking cool. to me. This is, a long, this is a long conversation I had with her last night about, you know, she's a very, very smart young lady and, and, and very crazy thinker. And at uh, one point I wrote it down because I thought this would be an apt uh, point in, at some point she said you know because she's writing and she keeps trying to write new material and she said the problem with writing is it requires complete surrender while overthinking it every step of the way and i thought <laughs> i said to myself i said geez that's just like golf it because it totally and i said to her can i steal that she goes why not you've stolen everything else from me i'm like all right all right just relax <laughs> I made you uh, exactly, but but she said, she, and I said that's so much like golf. It requires complete surrender while trying not to overthink it every step of the way. So you slightly don't care. This is the point that uh, you know, and and one of the things Charles tried to have me understand this is like 
quite a while ago, we were talking about, and we, we mentioned it on the show, but we are, you know, in our little work that we do together occasionally, we're talking about what can you do over a golf ball? At that point, you've already figured out everything you want to hit it to seven iron, there's the wind and all that stuff. And then over the ball, the problem with me and a lot of golfers is that we, we're, we're trying to think about how to do it while we're doing it. And it, it's taken me a long time uh, to get over a golf ball and just surrender to it to say, well, and, and that's a, there's a difference between taking a, a, a swing that you don't care about versus a swing that you care about, but you're just going to freaking rip it. You know what I mean? Or just surrender to it. Because as you said to me at the time, Charles, you've had bad shots and recovered. So what are, you, what are you afraid of? Well, what most people are afraid of is hitting a bad shot, which happens all the time. <laughs> you know, exactly. what a weird thing. I hit bad shots all the time. So why would I be afraid of them? And, and the more afraid you are, actually, ironically, the more likely they are. Exactly. Right? And that's totally. the evil kind of part of it. And in, in the immortal words of Brooks Kepka. It's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. So just hit it. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Charles, that's where we're going to let you go because uh, I can't stand Brooks Kepka. And uh, <laughs> um, uh, the eye roll heard around the world. Oh, you know, I'm so, you know, uh, OK, well, go. Let's go around. What did you think of that, Charles? Because I'll tell you what I thought of it. I I think it's hilarious. I mean, me t- you me know, y- young guys who are kind of in a. If I can say this, uh, a pissing competition. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Two of them, right? Tim already said fuck. I don't know if you've heard that. <laughs> well, it's a, they're in a dick measuring competition, That's basically, right? right? There, yeah, we're taking it to the level. Now we've we, now we've hit that line, and not even know, close for me. But you guys go, <laughs> you guys go ahead with your little your little waiting pool comedy. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just listen. It's it's guys with big egos, yeah. kind of clashing and contrasting again i was talking with a buddy yesterday and kind of said they both have these kind of very opposing kind of identities that they've or personas that they've created right and it makes sense that they're going to clash because one's oh i don't work that hard and i don't care that much and you know i just kind of show up and win majors and the other ones i'm a scientist and i'm yeah. smarter than everybody and i work my tail <laughs> he's off a, and, he's in a lab like frankenstein <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so it makes sense that those two are going to clash right and and to me i you know, love all the pieces that came out on social media that basically said, guess what the pairing is at the U.S. Open. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Timmy, what did you well, think of awesome. it? Oh, I thought it was hilarious, too. I mean, it's just it's like schoolyard stuff, really. You know, it's like the rivals, the, the guys who like, you know, one guy's captain of the football team. The other kid's like, you know, in the debating club, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, and like, whoa, um, it's wonderful stuff. You yeah. know, like, golf needs it. I, I love it. And and social media just exacerbates it. So it makes it that much more fun. Um, but, you know, also, they're also projecting all over each other. You know? Well, they're, I, they're I know one are. thing. I, th- I know one thing. Brooks Kepka doesn't care about that player impact program. <laughs> he doesn't give a shit about that. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. Oh, the one where the bonus thing for yeah, being a for nice being guy. For not being a dick. Um, yeah, if yeah he's not get getting any of that dollars for being nice. Yeah, he's not getting of the he's not getting any of the don't be a dick money. Here's what I don't like Brooks Kepka. I don't really care about him versus Bryson. Uh, both of them are fine. What I don't like is some of my very good friends, including Fred, uh, the guy I've worked with for 30 years, spent a lot of his time early in his career having to go into dressing rooms and interview athletes. He's told me stories and I know a lot of guys that do that job. What I don't like about Brooks is when he's rude to the guys asking him questions. 
Totally. Like, totally. N- so forget the little eye rolling thing, because I think Brooks is a big baby. But when he was giving the guy shit about asking him, you know, during the PGA about was that a tough shot from the bush? And, and he's kind of like, well, it was in the bush. It was, of course, he was a tough shot. And I'm like, you know what, Brooks Kepka, you fucking trailer park. N- nobody. If you didn't hit a, if you couldn't hit a golf ball, th- there would be zero interest in what you had to say. So I know I sound a little angry there, but it bothers me that he thinks he's so great. And, and this poor guy asking him questions, and it's not just last week. Every time he's asked a question, it's like it's a big deal for him to answer it. Meanwhile, I want to say, you know what, Brooks, uh, you'd be taking you'd be washing out, you know, uh, washroom stalls if you couldn't hit a golf ball. And I know that. Pardon me. This is exactly my point. He's oh, just good. Like, this is exactly right. So this little, this chippiness stuff is just this defense mechanism. Because what's the big fear that he'd be nobody? Yeah. So you know, so he's got this. So, but it's okay. I'm okay with it all. So yeah. you know, it's all a big, it's all a big bluster show. Um, and I'm not saying he's. Like that. There's other athletes that were are terrible interviews. Like Tiger was horrible at it, but at least he wasn't dismissive most of the time. Anyway, I didn't want to end on a bummer. Let me just say that. Uh, oh, that was fun, Charles. You're a beautiful angel, and uh, I hope you are well. Um, what do we? What are we playing? And I'm going to see you in Brantford in a couple weeks. Did you find somebody to play with? I did. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I was uh, really hoping that we could have snuck one in there, but it didn't happen. Uh, yeah, I'm playing with a very good player. I, it's funny because the guy I was going to play with, really nice guy. And when I told the the, the organizer, Danny, I said, oh, I'm going to be, I got a new guy's uh, Craig Watkins. He goes, oh, that's an upgrade. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> so I said, I won't tell my other partner that. But uh, yeah, I'll see you in a couple weeks, my friend. I can't wait. It, it, it's always a blast. And, and thanks, guys, for having me on. It's just uh, always so much fun and covers such a, a wide range of, yes. of wonderful topics. Hey, dude, uh, tell people how they can get a hold of you now, because Charles is also working on his own uh, content. Yeah, no, you can always find me uh, on my website and with my email, eclipseperformance.ca and, and charles at eclipseperformance.ca. But working on bringing some stuff to, to social media as well as uh, creating an online course so that people can go through and kind of learn the, the fundamental pieces that I work on with athletes in a concise and, and easy to kind of work through system that they can go through on their own. Okay, well, as soon as uh, it's ready, their own time. you let us know and we're going to have you back soon. Okay, kid? I, I can't wait and I, I very much look forward to it. Charlie Fitz, everybody, look at him. Look at her Good boy. See Charles. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Just All let right. yourself out of the meeting. We want to congratulate um, <clears throat> our two winners last week of the uh, TaylorMade Prize Pack, along with the Jonathan Wong uh, Inc. Uh, polo. I guess the polo will be uh, a fairway in green or a zero restriction or a bead ready. And the TaylorMade prize pack, you get a hat, you get a, a, a couple ball sampler, and I think one of them has a master's towel, and the other one has a master's head cover. cover. Yeah. Congratulations to Tom Morgan. Pardon me, sir? That's got to be amazing. Master's putter cover? Tom Morgan and Jeff Riddell. I've uh, already gotten a hold of them, and they're our winners. We're going to do it again in a couple weeks for the uh, U.S. Open. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, I'm not a big Brooks fan, as you can tell. You know, we were talking yeah, no, about that was, uh, that was Bush League, uh, the way he responded. Just like a miserable prat. Yeah. Um, you know, like get professional for gosh sakes. You know, I, I, I begrudgingly respect the fact that he's won four majors, but uh, it doesn't. I don't care, honestly. I, you know, it's funny. Speaking of the major, 
I was never a huge Phil Mickelson fan because I was a Tiger fan, and I always thought Mickelson was a bit fake. You know, a little bit too much totally. of the, the totally. trying to be like Palmer with the thumbs up. But I, I, I felt weird cheering for Phil on Sunday. It would be like a if you were a Leafs fan cheering for the Habs begrudgingly. You know, I said to Fred the other day, and it's so funny. He had he had such a fast answer. He's so I said because I was saying telling this to Fred. I said I felt it made me feel dirty. You know, cheering for Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Fred, have you ever? cheered for the Montreal Canadiens, his most hated team in sports. And right away, he came, December 8th, 1975. I'm, I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, they were playing the Russians. And it was the only time in my life. Remember that? When the Russia yes. came and did those uh, exhibition matches? Oh, that's hilarious. He had that, he had that date. The that's... one time in his life. But oh, I yeah. found myself cheering Phil on for various reasons. What about you? Well, you know, uh, I'm the same with you. I've never been a Phil fan at all. Uh, and I used to just really dislike him big time. Because, yeah. yeah, I thought it was kind of fake. The dodio, yuck, yuck, dummy, everybody liked me stuff. Um, plays to the cameras. I, and, and, you know, still there's elements of him that rub me the wrong way. Um, you know, he's always got to get the upper hand in social media. You notice that in terms of anyone makes a comment, and he's got to, whoa, one up him and stuff. So, I don't know. Maybe I've still got some childhood wounds. I'm <laughs> trying to. No, I guarantee it. I absolutely guarantee. <laughs> well, we all do. But <laughs> it was that schoolyard thing. No, uh, no. But I was cheering for Phil. You know, I. You know, for all kinds of different reasons. Um, amazing to watch a guy make history. For yeah. gosh sakes, yeah, history is uh, number 50, one for me. And a fifty-year-old keeping it up with the kids. I mean, he was bombing it out there. Mm-hmm. And I also love the chemistry between him and his brother. Um, and he was doing, and Phil's doing just a lot of good things that I hadn't seen him do in some previous events. He just seemed to be kind of quieter on the golf course, even though the fans who just adore him, mm-hmm. uh, he wasn't responding that much. It was just the little thumbs up, and, and then he was back to business. And there was a really sweet. Of, I was going to interject. There was a really sweet moment after he canned that bunker shot, which was very cool. I don't know if you remember that. It was, I think, the sixth hole. He hits the bunker shot. Yeah. And he takes the ball and he gives it to the kid in the wheelchair. Uh, I thought it was a very sweet moment. And it didn't seem contrived to me. It just seemed like, oh, that's cute. Um, I will say, you know, for the first seven holes, that was pretty exciting golf. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the the fact. Yeah, totally. Well, the way it started. That's what I said. The first seven holes, they they had three or four two-shot swings. You don't see that in high-level golf very much. And it was sort of like, you know, to Brooks' credit, it was like, wow, you know, just going back and forth. It was very entertaining. Yeah, what I thought was cool from that was his brother Tim said, Phil, you're not committed to your shots. Mm-hmm. And I think he says commit to it every time anyways. Yes. But it gave him a little scolding there. And and that helped, Phil said that helped turn it around. Well, what, he, what, he, what I loved what he said, he said to uh, his brother took him aside and said, listen, if you're gonna want, if you're gonna, hit, if you want to win this golf tournament, you're going to have to hit some committed shots. Because we all, and, and and I felt that we all relate to that. Because a lot of times in golf, we have this kind of like sort of we we kind of want it to be, but we're not sure if we're going to commit. It's like you know, can you get up on a tee and just swing away? Right. One of the reasons mm-hmm. a lot of us can't is because we're afraid of where it might go. But as Tim was trying to say to Phil, you're going to have to let some go here if we're going to win. 
Um, that is probably the the most improved thing for me over the last couple of years. Where the last couple of months, as you jokingly said, I, I've taken a PhD in decade, and I have, um, because the lockdown came just at the time that I was reaching out to this faucet guy and trying to get him on, but he wouldn't do it, but Stagner would, etc. So I decided I would immerse myself into this program, and you and I took the course a couple of years ago. But what we learned that day with Casey at Glen Abbey, that that was a good foundation, and it's helped me. But as I've kept saying, the handling expectations and just letting it go, knowing that variance will happen, um, has really given me some confidence to just stand over a ball and not swing as hard as I can, but swing as freely as I can. Totally. And you can tell right away when you didn't do it, and I stole that from Tim this week, Tim... uh, Mickelson, I knew a couple times during the rounds I played, I was like, oh, no, you didn't quite commit to that because you can just feel the difference where you're like, oh, trying to guide it, trying to guide the club through the ball as opposed to just wailing away. Even if it's a three quarter lob, you know, over a bunker, you've just got to at some point go, well, here we are. Let's see what happens. Yeah, like you were saying earlier, it's like trust and surrender. Yes. I mean, and it, it, it doesn't mean not caring. It doesn't mean zoning out. I mean, it's a, sometimes it's a hard thing to explain. But it's like, you know, how can I be completely present to this shot and not be, in essence, in the future, am I going to screw this up? Not interrupt not, it. Yeah. And, and the thing that I think that was, so the difference between a committed shot and it, it's what are you committed to? Are you committed to hitting this shot? Just and, and letting it go, the, you know, whether it's bombing a fade out there, hitting a knockdown six iron or whatever, or is it, geez, I hope I don't screw this up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I hope I don't look like an idiot. I hope that I don't get beat by this Brooks Kepka guy who I can't stand. It's what are you committed to? And then, and the being able to stay with that. And, and you and know, Timmy, is that's that's hard to do. I would say at the amateur level taking away from the Brooks uh, film match at the amateur level, we're, we're all thinking some of those things and we're thinking, how do I do this? Because listen, you know, I practice a lot. Everyone knows that I'm, I, you know, I, I work on my game. I practice a lot. And, and, but I do that for two reasons. One, I really like it. I'm not only doing it. So I'll get better. I just like it. So when I'm working at your game, I just enjoy it. So when I'm standing over a shot, my challenge is, okay, I've done all this work. Now, can I just get over this and and swing it without going? What is it? Is it my backswing? I'm trying to because we've had we've had this joke on the show a long (laughs) few times where, you know, sometimes you and it's happened to me in every amateur where you're standing over the ball and you're going through your (laughs) Rolodex of things. I've I've had this happen more as an older man where I'm over the ball and I'm like, can't remember what my swing thought was. (laughs) For the day, yeah, it's like it's like Jeff Goldblum. It's like Jeff Goldblum at Annie Hall uh, when he sees uh, referencing a film from nineteen seventies. That's all right. He's on the phone in Los Angeles, and and he's Jeff Goldblum's talking to his uh, his guru. Says, "I forgot my mantra." That's right. <laughs> and, and and over the ball, a lot of us have had that experience where I, I have at least where I'm like, where. But that's not the point you should be thinking about your swing thoughts. You know, having a swing thought is fine. You know, you see pros rehearse behind the ball, et cetera, et cetera. But when they're over the ball, and I know this from Charles and other good players, 
it's no longer time to remember. I'm trying to take it back a little bit, you know, whatever. It's just mm-hmm. time to go swing. And uh, Nick Trachilio told me this. Charles told me this, but it hasn't. And I'm going to this. You're going to love this segue. Where I where I really have felt it physically now is most recently, and I'll tell you why. Because I've spent two weeks every other day swinging those speed sticks as hard as I can. And and you have as well. I know you started last week. But I can tell you the residual effect that I didn't expect from 39 swings with abandon as hard as I can, as fast as I can swing a golf club. What it's done for me in my golf game is over the ball, it's allowed me to just release it. Just go, okay. Love that. Just I'm over the ball now. I got a wedge. It's 110. I'm not going to swing as hard as I can, but I am going to go at this with abandon because given the variance of shots I might hit, I might hit a great one or one that goes over there or over there. I'll just live with it. Now, please take the conversation uh, in a super speed manner. So, did you, so I think you've lateral, you, you've given me a lateral. I just threw it to you. It. Now, yeah, I, now I take it and I have it. Uh, and I need to come up with something interesting to say because there's so much that was cool there. You're, you're experiencing freedom and I've, I've had the same thing. In, in when, you're swinging, when you're swinging as fast as I can, well, I, thinking isn't, it's not in the equation because yeah. I would just, I would swing slower. Yeah, there's no time so for it. You just go, and it's just this feeling of just like, whoa, everything's going, everything's going, and it's free, and it's just easier. It's mm-hmm. very interesting. How So, just as we talked with Ryan, so... Um, Ryan Robillard from Super Ro- Speed, Ro- Speed, Super so Speed Swing. He said that you do one session, there's immediate payoff right away. I, you know, I went, I think I might have been 79, 80, my first round post, and then I, I played Sunday morning, nine holes, 39. I had to quit. I had to go off, do something. But it was like, and what was I thinking? Zero. I wasn't thinking at all. And that's the, that's the struggle in golf. And we Back to Charles. The control thing. We want to think our way through it because that's what our ego does. Our ego wants to protect us, keep us from pain. So what it, what it does, it comes up with solutions, trying fixes, trying controls. And that's the really hard thing. And the thing then I think I would just want to, as I pass the ball to you, sir, mm. is the thing that I'm experiencing through using the super speed sticks is that through swinging as fast as I can, I'm in a way practicing the approach I want to take to the golf course, which is swinging with freely and abandoning. That's with abandon. That's not swinging 100%. It's swinging freely. And so there's no thinking, but the, the the challenge in golf is we. If you want to play golf a certain way, you need to practice that way. Yeah. And the problem that golfers have is that they go out to the range and they think about what they're doing with their elbow or their knee, and you can't take that to the course. So you need to be practicing in a performance way so you can take that to the golf course. That was about 20 different things I tried. To I, I wrote a note to uh, Ryan, who is, uh, like I said, we had him on a couple of weeks ago. Now, I don't know if you remember, but I've had the, the speed sticks, the super speed sticks for about, uh, 
I think I had them at the cottage with Rachel in 2018. I got them and I thought, well, you know, I, I remember looking at the protocols online and I didn't really, I didn't really understand it. I just did it. <laughs> and um, it wasn't until actually it was Casey. Uh, well, he's the one that told me about that little PRGR monitor, which is a great little tool. And it's great if you want to take your clubs out to a range and see how far you hit shots. And yeah, it's there cool. It is, folks. There it is. And, um, but I can tell you if, and, and I had, uh, Ronan sent me a note. Uh, a couple other people sent me notes about the speed sticks. And I said, listen, I said the same thing. I've had them for four years almost, but it wasn't until three weeks ago. Cool, eh? Yeah. So, sorry, I hope I didn't interrupt you. I was just trying to provide a visual. Okay. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until I had them and, and used them with the monitor, because the numbers Tim, Timmy just showed you, the monitor is a gives you a sense of, are you making any progress? Because unlike the last time I, I had these sticks and started using them, in fact, I gave them away. I, I lent them to a buddy. They weren't even in my house for a couple summers. But but now seeing, so I've done, uh, I'm going to say, four, like maybe not even like eight sessions, seven sessions. But because you can quantify your increases, you know, our, our craving minds, our ego, whatever, but it also gives you a, a baseline to see if there's any progress being made. And I can tell you, it's fascinating. I sent my numbers to Ryan a couple of days ago. I said, okay, here's where I've been at. And, and one of the things I said is, I'm starting to get, and this is what he commented on. He said, I really like the sentence because I feel I'm starting to get more comfortable swinging that stick faster. And it's a funny psychological thing, especially when we get older, you know? Older people do things slower, as he said. You know, you just get kind of used to being in it. But, but there's a, a barrier that I thought I, sh- I couldn't go past because my shoulder's sore and I don't think I could swing it that fast. But I got to tell you, man, in uh, two weeks, uh, it, the increase is incredible. Now, I'm going to plateau, you're, and so will you. We, uh, the first stage, the first six weeks, well, you get... part of they tell you you're going to plateau. You're going to plateau, but, I can, but I've already... Uh, I'll finish by saying, I, so I've taken that monitor out and, and done it with my dri- a driver on a range, and it's, it's crazy. How much faster I'm swinging the golf club? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so cool. So I've done it three times. Yeah, and uh, but I got to ask you, we, we've this is this has been a very uh, high level conversation. How uh, elegant are your left handed swings? <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's this there's the dominant side and the non dominant side, and I got I don't. I really hate the non-dominant swings, partly because I'm very uh, uncoordinated. Even though I'm, I shot left in hockey, I find it, um, I protect my shoulder a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I swing as hard as I can without, like, I've always, I always feel like I'm pulling something at my side or something. <laughs> uh, so how, do you want to, do you want to, you can share you don't have well, I don't, to. Well, I'm interested in terms of you can uh, share if you want what I your experiences around how why that's important. So it's kind of it's fun because I, I find that when I'm doing it swinging from my non-dominant, which is my left-handed side, I feel like I look like a guy who someone took out a lunch hour. Yeah, you got to learn this golf thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you and should try like, this. Yeah, but it's interesting too. Is that I can only do the I do an interlock. Me grip. too. I can't, I don't, I, yeah, I got an interlocking left-handed, I don't know why. I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do with my pinky and my index, and so I do the interlock. 
And um, I also, but I always do a, st- when I'm getting like to the fastest swing, I always do the step through. It's like the Gary Player thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like my, my, um, my left foot boom, goes forward. But anyways, I'm still trying to get a sense uh, from that experience, how that translates into helping with performance from my dominant side. I don't know. Do you have any insight yet? I think it's for balance. I also think it's for building up strength. Um, I did have an interesting conversation with Ryan because I called him and we were talking about, you know, the development and where it would go and, and how it would it. I thought you were going to say how it would translate to the golf course. Um, and here's how I mean, I, I won't give you any numbers, but I can I'll give you one number. So my club head speed when I got fit in uh, February. Now, I hadn't taken very many golf swings at that point, and I wasn't swinging particularly fast. And again, you know, I I had a certain swing speed that I was comfortable swinging. And it's always been around 99, 100, 101. So in February, when I got fit for the Sim 2, tailormadegolf.ca, I was swinging it around the same, about 101 or so. Uh, last week, after my fifth super speed training, I went out and did the a few swings on the range after the round. At the end of a long day, and I was swinging it at 107 miles an hour. Fantastic. My carry distance was 253, and uh, I was just blown away. Not surprising, because on the golf course, I hit some... You know, how how bombs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a couple of how bombs, and I was like, how you like that, old man? But yeah. yeah pretty I, impressive, yeah, for a 61-year-old man with... But of course, you do have the tailor-made Sim 2 driver. Buddy, it's it's so good. <laughs> I hit it so good. I wasn't sure. I was like, I wonder if I'll be able to put it in my bag right away. Then I hit a few. I'm like, I will, I will. I so went to... I, I went to an... Uh, I went from a 10.5 to nine and I'm loving the, the trajectory and no, it's I'm, I'm loving it. But, um, the whole, uh, the whole speed, uh, super speed thing has been really been really interesting and it's taking off for huge. I think there's, it's, there's this explosion of what's going on with this. Uh, I saw within days of, uh, the PGA last week, Phil, there was like one, one in his bag, um, and who's the fellow who won um, just the week before? No, what? Rory didn't win. Just but was it the week before or two weeks before? The I can't remember the guy's name. He's I think he's Korean. Um, okay, H. Lee. Yeah, he uses them. Yeah, you know, and um, and I think what's interesting is that there's this. I think people are having this experience that golf isn't necessarily this connect the dots. You know, kind of what I call tab A into slot B golf. Yeah. You know, that I got to fold my elbow and do this. And that it's like what Fred Shoemaker's been talking about for eons. How can we make golf more instinctual, mm-hmm. closer to our natural swing? Yeah. Hence, Fred uh, was doing the, you know, throw a club thing and people laugh at it. It's not much different than super speed. It's yeah. like you're not, you're, you're doing something on a, an instinctual level of trying to, let something go on a physical we, level versus a, a thinking level. Exactly. And, and, and we do our best in all kinds of things. Uh, you know, even whether you're trying to solve a business issue or, or solve a problem or your golf swing, 
when you're not in that ego mind of thinking and tr- controlling, um, you can really perform because you're accessing what's natural to you. Sure. The talent you have, the skill, your experience. But you're, you're putting basically the handcuffs on yourself when you, whenever you're starting to think about, you know, swing it slow, let your elbow fall, do all that kind of stuff. It all just slows down and you're not able to swing freely. The thing is, those are all fine things to work on when it's time to work on fine things. The problem is, and I, mm-hmm. again, I hearken back to uh, what Charles and I talked about a couple of years ago and how I had this epiphany about you can't do the thing while thinking about how to do the thing. But back to it, something I mentioned to you on the show a couple of weeks ago when I first started using these. Um, I had Rachel videotape. This is like the second day I used it because I had this kind of like a light bulb went off and I went, wow, man, I'm really swinging this a lot faster than I thought I was able to. Again, a, a psychological barrier. So I said, Rachel, just tape this for me, will you? She's like, really? Do I have to do this? Anyway, uh, I said, yes, this is important. I said, come to the golf nursery right away. And, uh, and I remember looking at the swing and all the things that I want to do in my golf swing were evident in that video of me swinging the green stick as hard as I could. And I was like, wow. Like, I just, and I wasn't thinking of any of my, what I'm working on thoughts, and they were all there. When I just was like, you know, using your word, I was just letting, like swinging with abandon versus being careful. And and back to what I was saying about how it's translated instantly into my golf game, you know, I, I had a, I played four rounds of golf. And other than the first day where I, I had a, it was a really tough day. I shot 80, but I've had 75, 75, 74. I shot 74 Tuesday with two of our pros who both hit it tons. And uh, an amateur has got a plus one handicap. And it was a tough, tough day. And I just, I hit it very nicely, but I just decaded my, my whole round was a decade round, but over every shot, I'm getting to the point, whether it was a wedge or my driver, I just swung with as much freedom as I could, knowing that chances are it'll be fine. And even if it's not, it'll also be fine. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, <laughs> it's going to be fine. Absolutely. Yeah, no matter what happens, yeah. you know, uh, so, the majority of our listeners don't have these uh, super speed sticks, and you know it's it's worth checking them out, folks. But one thing that I would, if you want to f- have a sense of how this could, how you could feel this, and you might feel weird doing this, you don't have to throw a club. You know, if you got some room in your in your backyard, you got a big, and you want to just just give it. Give it a shot and see what happens. Or on, on a range, just throw a golf ball. Seriously, just throw a couple golf balls. Yeah, you might look weird. But think, but feel and compare what happens in your regular golf swing. And yeah. I guarantee you, when you throw a club or you just throw a ball, you'll be amazed at what happens. Yeah. You'll be in this amazing finished position. All the good things that you want to have happen in your golf swing happen when you swing or you do something instinctually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen it in Fred Shoemakers. I've seen all kinds of his videos. He, do, he does a pre and a post. And the, and the pre-video is, okay, let's see your golf swing. And you see people that fire and fall back and the, the, they, they lose the leg and they're all this kind of stuff and hit below behind the ball and they're kind of behind it that way. It says, now throw the club. 
And you see people like they look like they're standing right up. They're posting right up on that. Oh, I know leg. they look like pros. And exactly. The left hips turned and they're, they're standing right up there. It, and that's what happens when you can just swing with some freedom. But it's it's coming back to sort of what's natural and instinctual rather than thinking about this thing that I have to, I try to do correctly. I, I think it comes back to the beginning of the show, uh, uh, not just today, but in the beginning of our you know journey together. The the mm-hmm. the, the you know the path is for me at least has been from thinking too much to. Not thinking as much slash trusting what I have. And, um, you know, again, I, I've had some good progress the last couple of summers. And and so far, I can tell you, I feel pretty good about the state of where I am. Not just golf swinging guy, but just kind of how I'm feeling my way around golf in general. A lot of it is the decade stuff because I've really learned what... You know, like what a like an okay shot is versus what I was frustrated about before. I was very frustrated for two reasons, two hundred reasons, but two two in particular is I thought I should be better than I than I was. But then I found out through talking to Lou Stagner the other day, like statistically, I'm already at scratch. The numbers I put up uh, every time I play are around what a scratch golfer shoots. So I'm like, oh, really? I'm already. But but also, I didn't realize that. To do that, I didn't have to be anywhere near as good as I thought I had to be. I thought I had to make six birdies around. The last two rounds of golf, I've made two birdies around, but I've had one huge statistic that used to screw me up. I've had zero three putts. Wow. And I'll tell you why, because I'm not trying to make 25-foot putts anymore. If I can Sweet. finish, I'll tell you my final my final GSL tip of the week is this. I mean, I <laughs> brand this. My final tip of the week is this. We I would recommend Super Speed and, and listen. We've got two sponsors that we love, but we hardly ever recommend like really heartily recommend anything. I would recommend these sticks for sure. But I would also recommend you delve a little bit into decade. Just maybe not to the point that I did. But just find out for your handicap level. See what a good shot is for a 10 handicapper from 150, 125, and 100. And I'll tell you, it will lower your, you know, your flashpoint. And that alone is worth it. Because I can tell you for me, I've missed some shots this year already in that round of 74. Missed plenty of shots. But I was able to accept them in a way because I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no. That wasn't so terrible. I missed the green, but I'm I walked off. I'm 45 feet from the flag. I missed the green, but I'm I'm within, you know, uh, a mm-hmm. decent scatter pattern. No big deal. Whereas before Tim and you've seen, oh, you play with me before I would be somewhat pissed at that shot. Petulant. Thank you. So that's my tip. All right, great one. Well, my tip is that you could start by buying the book or borrowing it from the library even uh every shot counts by mark brody yeah because that that has all those that guy's the data nerd who basically got he's the guy behind strokes gain he's also the guy he's also the guy that Fawcett credits for getting him into this uh into this into this math for sure quotes all the time you can you can learn so much just just from that and then by increments just 
go further with it. But one of the things that's really interesting is that, so I do these webinars and some, and, and I'll have some questions at the end. And so I'll have someone say, well, next time I go, I'm going to swing like I don't care. And I went, that's not exactly it. What we're aiming for here is a level of engagement that's kind of relaxed concentration. Mm-hmm. Timothy Galway, I think, is the one who came up with that lovely phrase. So it's being in a place where it's a balance of things. So what I like about what we've been talking about decade is that if I know that a shot that comes out of the rough uh, and it lands within 40 feet or so, that's an okay shot. Mm-hmm. That just frees me from my from from these expectations. Right. And I can swing with a little bit more fun. But but also golfing. acceptance too. You're yeah, you're exactly. you're more likely to accept a, a shot from 178 that lands 60 feet uh, right of the flag by if you know that that's a pretty good for our level that's a pretty good shot, right? And so you can stay in that place of just uh, that's that place of flow of easiness. It doesn't mean you're like in the hallowed zone, but you're just like things are easy and we're going along and we're instead of spiking with oh crazy i'm off the moon with joy because this happened and you know Mm -hmm. down to like you know hide the sharp objects Um, (laughs) (laughs) is is just playing a little more you know equanimity with a little bit more peace because you think about when we're really in the zone whether it's you know working on a business project writing something we're fully there it's like we're, we're not wondering if we're doing it right we're we're just right there and it's going okay and Next thing you look up and it's dark out and you realize, I got to go to the bathroom really badly (laughs) because I've been sitting here for four hours because you've just been so into it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's a beautiful place to be. You know, it's even informed some of my practice habits now, you know, because, you know, I've, you know, yesterday I didn't play, but I spent an hour on the range with my buddy Paul Henrik, just kind of he the first time he was looked at my swing all year, and so we we talked a couple of swing things, very subtle. Then I went to Glen Karen because you're not allowed to have teachers at the courses yet. So I met Paul at a range. Then I drove myself to Glen Karen. I had booked a range time, and I went right to the putting green and I did these. I have a couple of decade drills. Then I started practicing my short pitch shots: eight yards, ten yards, twelve yards. And here's where I'll finish by saying is I, I have been practicing around that green for nine years. And I remember even in my practice, five balls, seeing how many I would you know potentially get up and down. And I used to have such a, a an unrealistic criterion for what would be an up and down. I didn't I, I thought I thought I was supposed to from 10 and 12 yards get it to a foot. Well, my friend, on the PGA Tour, from eight yards, and I I mentioned this statistic before, but I'll say it again in this context. So yesterday, I walked off eight yards, 10 yards, 12 yards, and all all over the practice screen. From eight yards on the PGA Tour, their average proximity is five feet, two inches. So all of a sudden, now I'm practicing, rather than being frustrated in practice, oh, shit, I'm not a foot from the hole. You know, I would say, how many can I get in a five or four or six foot circle from 12 yards? Their proximity is six feet, three inches. So here I am, some some amateur. Yeah. And so yesterday when I was practicing, I was like I was having a positive experience. So out of five balls, I might get a couple three or four feet. A couple might be five feet. Oh, Oh, there's an outlier at eight feet. 
But it, it just, it even calmed my expectations down around what is it you're practicing? And by the way, from a bunker at eight yards, I hit some nice bunker shots yesterday. Eight feet, 10 feet, seven feet, four feet. From a bunker at eight yards, their proximity is six feet, 11 inches. I suck. Why am I, th- why do I think I should hit it stiff from a bunker? You shouldn't. You get a bunker shot on at, at a 15 handicap. If you get a bunker shot on the green, job well done. At our level, my level, if you get a bunker shot within seven or eight feet, that's great. And the other thing it does is when you're on the golf course and you hit a bunker shot to eight feet, rather than be pissed off, which I would be, now I go, oh, cool. I have to say, I'm, I have a chance to sink an eight foot putt now. Good job, buddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Totally. And what a different way to play. Exactly. Really. And so, oh, man. It's, but I still find it mind blowing. We've been talking about this stuff for a couple of weeks now. You're saying it's from eight yards. The tour average is to get it within five feet. To gain zero strokes, meaning an average, so you don't gain, you don't lose, to just be neutral from, uh, check this out, from 20 yards. So go to your golf course next time, pace off 20 yards from the flag in the rough, like in the collar around the green, pace off 20 yards and see if you can get it within eight feet and 10 inches, because that's their, their, that's their average from 20 yards. Like here, don't believe me. Well, I just, I still find that just crazy. Like you said from eight yards, they get it within five five feet. feet. Yes. I mean, that, that just seems like based on my old way of understanding what good was, (laughs) Yeah. Was that like that would be crappy. I'd be pissed off at myself because I thought that I'm supposed to in chipping, I'm supposed to all just like you said, always have it within a three, like yeah. A, yeah, and like whoa, really? I was gonna say if you don't believe me, like I watched a little bit of the golf last night. Um it was rec- I recorded it and uh and I now I see it all through a filter of these numbers. Watch the golf. Watch them from I, I watched uh, Justin Thomas go double bogey 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 in a four hole stretch. Three times he was putting for bogey in that stretch because three times he had a pitch shot. He tried to get too cute with it and left mm. it short. Two times he left it short of the green. So my point is, when you watch the best players in the world, watch the guys playing Thursday and Friday. See just how great they don't hit it all the time. <laughs> you know. And then Justin Thomas, like all good players, had a three or four hole stretch like we all do. You know, uh, what's his face? Uh, Billy Horschel was four under on the front nine and then made four straight bogeys. So in our rounds of golf this weekend and this summer, we all are going to have periods of play that aren't very good. Like Charles said, you're going to have some good shots. You're going to have some bad shots. But what Dustin Thomas did is after that stretch, made a birdie, made a couple pars, started to get it back. But it wasn't like he was shooting, you know, at flags. And his proximity during that, you know, that rough patch wasn't very good. Wasn't any better than you and me. I know, but they didn't They didn't go out and, and uh, harm themselves. They, no, that's they, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's they don't true. punish their five iron by whatever. Yeah, that's um, true. I would love to get, speaking of PhDs, you and Decade, Charles... In sports psychology, a PhD in expectations. Yeah, because that is just such an interesting topic to me of of how we just oh make our lives miserable because oh it's supposed to be this way no it should be this way I oh my gosh I think in all parts of our lives we just really kind of screw ourselves up 
Well, that was that thing I said at the earlier part of the show about the Sam Harris thing is that we we live lives of desperate and quiet frustration because of this fantasy that life was supposed to be, you know, fantastic every day. And as, he, as Sam Harris says, every day, you know, some piece of equipment that you rely on. Oh, I can't. My phone's not charged. The computer isn't or the printer. Shit goes wrong every day. And yet, for some reason, we're surprised. Uh, yeah, Tim, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. What a beauty. JW Apparel, Inc. Uh, some of the great, honestly, the nicest golf stuff I've ever worn. And uh, very grateful to have him uh, supporting this program along with our friends at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. We're going to put together another prize package for you uh, for the U.S. Open. Uh, there are the irons. And now make sure you try out the uh, TP5 golf ball. Uh, find out more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Tim, what a great uh, time with you, sir. Thank you. It was, yeah. Did you, quickly, did you get your little uh, tailor-made uh, little gift box? Did I'm going to go pick it up. I saw it was uh, at the UPS store. Yeah, it's... Is it it's sweet? Lovely. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. I love I love Christmas and late night. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm all excited. Uh, and don't forget the uh, Humble and Fred program, Canada's longest-running uh, podcast, HumbleandFredRadio.com. We'll see you next time. When he gets up under the lights, play his play.